I've had to know about TikTok as a marketer for a long time, but I'm not necessarily a creator on TikTok because I haven't found the stuff I really want to talk about. And then in my feed one day was delivered this dude, Dan McClellan. And my mind was a little bit blown. Why? (laughs) Because Dan is a biblical scholar and linguist who, in his own words, says, I received my PhD from the University of Exeter in 2020, where I wrote my doctoral dissertation under the supervision of Francesca Stavrakopolo. I hope I got that right, or even close. My dissertation treats the concept of divine agency in the Hebrew Bible through the methodological lenses of cognitive linguistics and cognitive science of religion. More specifically, it interrogates the notion of communicable agency as represented by the Ark of the Covenant and the messenger of, you would say, Adonai. Mm -hmm. And I respect that. So I'm going to leave it there. And I will say this, you can read the entire 301-page dissertation in a PDF available online simply by going to hcommons.org slash members slash M-A-K-L-E-L-A-N. But if you just frankly look up Dan McClellan that you see on screen and dissertation, you're undoubtedly going to find it because this is blowing my mind. A biblical scholar has not only embraced social media, but is using it not to talk about how he, what he ate for lunch or what his political bent is or anything like that. He's using it to really interface with whoever might be interested about linguistics, specifically linguistics in the Bible, specifically taking down misread or misunderstood or mis in your own words, negotiated understandings of specific Bible passages, stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I want to stop talking, but I do want to make it clear. I've talked about where Dan stands on this. Everybody in the audience, and I've been very quiet about this on this podcast, I'm a pastor's son. I Consequently, I'm agnostic. Organized religion lost me a long time ago for a lot of reasons. We are not here to talk about that. We're not here to litigate any of that. We're here to really go into why Dan is doing what he's doing and answer a really, really important question for me, which is, why does a PhD linguistics dude have merch? But first, (laughs) Dan McClellan, welcome to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation. I appreciate your time and that introduction. It's all true, because that's one of the things that you've taught me, which is, dare I say, data is greater than dogma. (laughs) <laughs> and let me l- l- let me get viewers on the same page. How can we be on the same page? By literally taking a look at one of Dan's TikToks. So bear with me as I do a little magic here. This is a recent TikTok where Dan does one of his patented takedowns of someone who's not quite getting the linguistics correct when it comes to a biblical passage or a word or a phrase or something like that. So Let's watch this in its entirety. It's one minute and 20 seconds. The spiritual truth about alcohol that they don't want you to know. All right, let's see it. So what is this demonic substance? Well, alcohol is the Arabic word that it's derived. It means body eating spirit. So I see a lot of videos that are making claims about etymological origins and overwhelmingly they are just wildly off base. So I want to share a resource with you that you can check on if you hear people making etymological claims. 
The easiest way to verify an etymology you may find online is to go to etymonline.com, the online etymology dictionary, enter your term, gives you different entries. Let's look at the first one, the noun. And we see this comes from an Arabic word, coal, fine metallic powder used to darken the eyelids, from a verb that means to stain or to paint. There's the rest of the entry. If you're curious about sources for the claims that you're going to find in the online etymology dictionary, they do provide a full list. And as you can see, it is a very comprehensive list of works in a handful of different languages. So as you can see, this creator's claim is pure and utter nonsense. And hopefully now you are better equipped to interrogate similar claims that you find on the internet in the future. Okay, that should blow your mind because that is not someone doing a silly dance on TikTok. <laughs> That's someone who's bringing the PhD level linguistics heat regarding specifics that are important to anyone who lives under a regime that is influenced by the Judeo-Christian foundation that everything we're supposed to be about is founded upon. If we don't know what that foundation actually is, that could be a bit of a problem. And that's why I love Dan McClellan, specifically his takedowns. This is only one of, I'm looking at your TikTok page right now, 1,260. You, at least the numbered ones are 1,260 different TikTok videos, all dealing with very specific stuff. I got to go all the way back to number one. What made you get out there and think that a biblical scholar, a linguist who's got a scientific rigorous background training, mm-hmm. where, where did you get the audacity <laughs> to think that you had something to say worth sharing via TikTok? Well, this is something that a lot of scholars in and around my fields have been trying to do for a while, just because most of the conventional wisdom that our society inherits regarding the Bible, regarding religion, is literally like a century or two old by the time it gets filtered down and and starts to get into widespread circulation. And so scholars have been trying to find ways to package what's going on a lot closer to the cutting edge and get it out to the general public, but there have not been a lot of good media for doing that. I remember in 2009, I started up a, a blog and we had this group of, we called ourselves bibliobloggers, that we were trying to write stuff out to be able to share it with a wider audience. And I and a number of friends were really engaged in trying to combat misinformation, particularly about new artifacts that were being announced that frequently were turning out to be forgeries. So in 2011, I was helped spread information about a discovery that was announced, these Jordan-led codices that turned out to be forgeries. And the world of biblioblogging did not get a lot of attention, but just not quite a decade later, we have a bunch of other social media channels that are available. And this one, TikTok, I thought it was just for videos of people dancing and for Korean kids disrupting U.S. presidential campaigns. And, you know, I was all fine with that. But I started seeing people sharing on Instagram and on Facebook videos that were addressing claims about the Bible and religion and not in a particularly well-informed way. And so I thought I would just go check out what's going on over there, see who's in charge, see who's calling balls and strikes. And uh, it was an interesting array of, of different approaches to these topics, but I didn't see anyone with the credentials who was addressing it from a purely not objective, but kind of dispassionate 
outside perspective as, as possible, I saw people mainly arguing from the two different teams about different aspects of the Bible and religion. And I thought, huh, this might be another avenue for trying to democratize access to the academic study of the Bible and religion, make it a little more accessible to the general public. And so then the first video I, I published was actually precisely on the Jordan-led codices because somebody had been sharing videos that had gotten a lot of attention about these 70 lead books that were supposed to be the earliest Christian texts ever. And I started looking for accounts that were sharing videos about the Bible and religion that were spreading misinformation so I could confront them and say, here are the data. This is what this indicates. You know, there are different ways to interpret this, but we've got kind of these boundaries here and the claims being made in this, that, or the other video are well outside those boundaries, entirely conflict with the data. And to my surprise, it turns out there's a, a, a pretty hungry audience for that kind of content for somebody who is equipped, who is trained, and who can try to keep their stay in the lane of, of trying to call balls and strikes regarding the Bible and religion. And I've learned a lot about social media. I've learned a lot about what the appetites are like out there for this kind of stuff. And I've also learned a lot, a lot about where I need to, to get better at content creation and you mentioned production values, that kind of thing as well. But it's been, it's been an interesting journey, and, and it's actually turned into now my full-time job. The opportunities out there have been, have been quite surprising, and a lot of wonderful people out there are looking to support this kind of content creation. So I'm, I'm letting all my friends in the, in the industry know, hey, we need more people who can address more stuff. You know, I've got my specializations, and some of them are broader than others, but I can't cover everything, not by a long shot. There are a lot of people who have different experiences than me, different backgrounds, different specializations. And I think the more folks like me we can get out there, the better. And, and you know, there are other, other folks in, uh, in biblical scholarship and the academic study of religion who enjoy this kind of content, would like to be able to produce content for a more public-facing general audience, but have always felt kind of confined by the strictures of the academy to just kind of stay within your classroom and, you know, not overturn the apple cart. But as someone who did not have a full-time academic appointment when I started this up, you know, apple carts be damned. I'm, I'm happy to, to go out there and produce content that's going to reach the audience where they are. And it's been surprising, but folks enjoy seeing the comic book t-shirts. Folks enjoy some of the some of the things that I've always said in my own academic field and some of the things I came up with when I started making content, the all right, let's see it is something that, that a lot of folks really get a kick out of. And data over dogma is something that I came up with as I started making these videos. It's kind of the motto of my channel is like, if there's a motto for my channel, it's that I put data over dogma. We're not here to you know, to see which team wins. We're just here to get the data out there and let people evaluate it for themselves. Well, and again, this is not a, a podcast episode about religion, people. Don't worry about that. It's a podcast about nonfiction branding, what I call creating a completely true, completely you brand that you already are. And that's mm -hmm. what Dan's doing. So everything he just said, take the word Bible out, take the word scholarship out, and insert whatever you're doing in there. And I don't care if it's metal anodization. If you're an expert in metal anodization, 
there is an audience out there. So let me ask you, audience members, whether you're watching the live stream or the podcast, listening to the podcast, knowing what you just heard about Dan, what do you think his viewership might be on a given TikTok video? In the hundreds? In the thousands? In the tens of thousands? Bigger than that? It's in the latter two parts, which is in the tens of thousands and even above that. I mean, I'm looking quickly at your, your TikTok page and doing a quick average, and I'm gonna say the average is about 50,000 views per video on average. Some are only about 10,000. I wish I had 10,000 on average. <laughs> but some are 250,000. Some are mm -hmm. beyond that even. And this is for what a lot of people would consider dry, dusty scholarship, except it's not. I mean, my daughters like to make fun of me because one of my daughters just who's in college now said, you know what, dad, you really prepared me for college. And I said, what, why? We always watched History Channel and Discovery Channel <laughs> and just, uh, just anything that was about the secrets of the Bible untold, or, <laughs> you know, or, or anything historical. And they would sit next to me and I would under my breath be going, yeah, that's a load of crap. That's bull or no. Oh, but that's, they buried the lead. They, you know, they, they sent, they went for the sensational and mm -hmm. didn't pay attention to the substantial. And that is what I think is key to the brand. That is Dan McClellan. You want to focus away from the sensational and put it on the substantial. And mm -hmm. by the way, people like me eat that up like protein because it's nowhere else. Everything else is Ooh, Globecky Tepe. It's proving <laughs> that mankind was raised by alien DNA, right. you know, yeah. all that crap. And you go, okay, it's, it's doing what science does. It brings us new data. That data now has to be reinterpreted or interpreted into the existing data set. And it's creating fascinating stuff that mm -hmm. may be sensational, but it starts with the substance. And that's what you do. And in that clip I showed you guys, he had two of his catchphrases in there. All right, let's see it. This is a typical Dan video. Aliens inhabiting the body of a woman in Pocatello, Idaho. <laughs> and then cut to Dan. All right, let's see it. And then you go through and do a takedown. And I think respectful and dispassionate is exactly right. It's like... Yeah, I'm going to call you a raging idiot who doesn't know squat, but I'm going to do it in such a way by showing the data that anyone who hears what I say is going to think you're an idiot who doesn't know squat. <laughs> and that's a really powerful thing. And for people like me, it's like catnip. Did you have that in mind or did that develop over time? That kind of, you have a very specific recipe yeah. for your videos. You don't always adhere to it, but they kind of have a, a natural cadence, a natural tempo, a natural arc. Did that develop over time or did you sit down and figure that out? How, how did that work? That was definitely something I developed over time. I didn't have like a, 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 a brand plan in place. In fact, the last thing I would have thought of for the first five or six months of being on TikTok was having a brand. But I did, I did see that there was interest in, you know, there were itches that needed scratching and there was a way to present it that seemed to kind of create a template where people knew what they could expect, where people knew that it was going to be good. The, that's one of the comments I get all the time. When I hear, all right, let's see it. 
I know I'm in for a ride or I know I'm in for a good time or something like that. So it was something that I started to notice people were quoting that these things back at me and was like, oh no, I have a, I have a, a motto. I have a, a slogan. I have a catchphrase. And I started having people telling me, oh, you need to put this on a shirt. You need to put this on a sticker. You need to put this on a coffee mug. And I didn't take it seriously at first, but when I, I had a video probably less than a year into being on TikTok that got about four and a half million views in, in about a day, day and a half, and the follower count shoots up when that happens. And it made me a little nervous because with every, you know, if I get, if I gain 10,000 followers overnight, that's like 10,000 more eyes on me and potentially a larger pool from which someone may emerge who knows these <laughs> issues better than me. So it was a little scary at first, but it also meant I was getting a lot more people telling me, you need a podcast, you need merch, this is your catchphrase. And so the audience kind of guided me into identifying the things that were catchy, that people were focusing on. People like the data over dogma slogan for my channel. And, and that was one of the first things I, I put on a, a piece of merch. And yeah, if you told me when I started this up, you're going to be selling hoodies and t-shirts and things in a year, would not have believed you, not one iota. It was really the audience that drove a lot of it. And I am kind of through trial and error and figuring out how to turn this into a brand. And I still have a lot of, a lot of ways to go. I still a ton that I don't know, but it's been quite amazing. It's been quite a bit of fun. I've met some amazing people along the way as well, who have been very helpful. A lot of YouTube folks, a lot of podcasters, a lot of others who've kind of been doing this for a while, biblical scholars who've been publishing for a popular audience, who've sold a lot of books written for popular audiences have kind of sat me down and say, okay, here's some things to, to keep in mind. And so my hand has been held the entire way by the audience and by others who have a lot more experience than me doing this. So I'm really a, a product of this whole community and have nobody but them to thank for the degree to which I am a brand right now. I've just basically brought my concern for trying to combat the spread of misinformation and everyone else has molded me into whatever you see on the screen today. I'll take issue with what you were saying a little bit. Okay. They didn't mold you. You are already fully molded. What they're doing is polishing that which is already there. Because unless you are fronting it perfectly in such a way that I can't smell past your artifice, I don't get the feeling that anything you do in terms of your presentation is fake. I believe, yeah, do I think maybe you, you do a couple of takes maybe on some of these to make it a little smoother? Probably. Do I think you maybe have bullet points figured out ahead of time? You don't just turn on the camera and blather? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but do I think you're faking it? Do I think that you've got an, uh, an agenda other than the one that you've published, which is this is about going back to the data. And the whole thing is if you're a data-oriented facts matter person like myself, you are water in a desert. <laughs> we mm -hmm. live in a world of dis and misinformation. Yeah. And so anybody who can bring a, to any conversation the facts pleasantly, but with authority and say, well, you know, that's interesting. It's not exactly true. In fact, here are the sources. If you go back to the sources, these are the facts. And everybody can have their own opinion, but there are only one set of facts. Let's focus on the facts or in yeah. the way you say it, data is greater than dogma. 
And when we talk about Dan having merch, he ain't kidding, man. In fact, <laughs> let me show you this. Over at bonfire.com slash store slash data dash over dash dogma, you can get official Dan McClellan merch, including pure and utter nonsense <laughs> is one of his catchphrases. The other one. All right, let's see it. And then my favorites, the data over dogma. Probably it shows best on one of these t-shirts. Data is greater than dogma. I mean, even the simple design, I really appreciate because again, I'm an art director or a, a creative director and less is more, especially when you've got a very simple message there, which is, oh, I see the, the heavier type means that the word data actually has more weight and heft and meaning than dogma, mm -hmm. which is a little bit thinner and wispy and you can almost not see it in comparison to data. Oh, that's kind of a clever way of saying exactly <laughs> what you're saying, which is data is greater than dogma. Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, <laughs> and again, I just want to say this is a PhD in biblical literature and linguistics who has merch people. Are you kidding me? And the whole thing is, of course, people want this because now it's a signifier that I am in the tribe of Dan. I am, and maybe I'm not following him anywhere because I think for myself to be a member of the tribe of Dan means that I think for myself and data is greater than dogma. And by the way, I've seen some of your videos where you've been humble in being corrected by some of those experts in subject matter fields that are adjacent to your own expertise. And I, I don't think of them as slapdowns. They're more calibrations like, yeah, you're yeah. kind of there, but not quite. Here's some nuance. You openly share that stuff, which is part of your brand. You are authentic because you're not perfect. You come out and say that. And you are correctable or calibratable by those who bring the data and prove to you that perhaps you're a little bit off. And that, again, it's a tonic for those of us who are dying for a conversation that adults can actually have about any topic. Again, mm -hmm. take Bible studies out of it, take linguistics out of it, take anything out of it. Whatever your topic of passion is, wouldn't you love to have a Dan McClellan that you could watch and learn from and be entertained by, but also edified by? Because that's part of your brand too. You educate, but you entertain as well, often at the cost of the people you're taking down. But it's been it's been a lot of fun. And one thing that that I've tried to do that's I'm I'm glad it, it's clear people can see that I'm, I'm willing to take correction and I'm willing to make a video saying, hey, everybody, I was wrong about this. This person directed me to the data that demonstrated I was wrong. And I, I think there are a lot of people out there that feel like in today's world, if you get corrected, you get dunked on, that it's over, that you can't come back from that. And I've noticed that's not the reality in the academic world. It's not the reality in my social circles. And so I've tried to approach content creation the same way and hopefully model for other folks how you can continue to grow and progress as, in, in my case, a researcher, somebody learning about these things. I can't be a specialist in all this. I am happy to say, hey, I got this wrong. Here's a great creator. They know more than me about this. They corrected me. And I get, you know, there are one or two every time I do that, people who'd be like, I can't trust you anymore. 
Overwhelmingly though, it is, wow, I would never expect that. You have impressed me even more than, than I was before. And I, I'd like to see a lot more of that kind of thing out there. But so many people are fighting for a team and rather than trying to help everybody have a, a better understanding of, of the data and of the truth that they get kind of, they end up retreating to the, to the battle lines. And, and I also will critique all sides of, of the debates that I engage. And so sometimes I correct folks who are, I would consider on my team, so to speak. And I say, you know what? And the, the phrase that I came up with to signal that that's what's going on is I say, hey, I appreciate and I support this creator's rhetorical goals. In other words, I see what they're trying to do. I agree with what they're trying to do. I'd like to see them achieve those goals. However, there are some issues with these claims or that's not what the data support or something like that. And I think a lot of people out there think you have to kind of pick a team and then stick with that team and try to ride them into, into success. But I am in some ways on playing both teams. And ultimately, I think the, the audience that I have attracted is a more, is a more devoted, a more dedicated audience because it's a deeper understanding a deeper concern for these issues if it's not just about is this going to prove me right or wrong is this going to make me feel good about the social identities that are important to me I, the folks who are in my audience are concerned for the data and i think the world is going to be a better place the more folks like that we have centered in these discussions and one of the things that you clearly do is you recognize some of the people you take down they're pure charlatans and anybody who's watching the video can see it's not that you're coming down on them like they're charlatans. It's it's just you literally say, look, emperor, no clothes on. Yeah. And the audience fills in the blank. You don't have to say any invective against them or anything like that. You just point out they, they aren't wearing any clothes. And here the, yeah. here's the empirical facts that prove it. But you also have a lot of people who, as you say, I support their rhetorical goals. Their heart is in the right place, which is another th way of saying it. Their heart's in the right place. Their facts are a little bit off. And so I, I don't want to squash them. I don't want to cancel them. But I do want to provide them with a little bit of input that hopefully they'll find more constructive. And yeah. that whole conversation style is happening on TikTok. I got to say this again. People... This is happening on TikTok. This guy has a full-time gig for himself, working for himself, doing what he does in a very niche field on TikTok. And I also see you trying to move the audience off TikTok into your own hacienda because the worst thing you could do is build a house on rented land. <laughs> TikTok is rented land, and by the way, the Chinese own it. So any day now... Congress could shut down TikTok and, or the, even the president could. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be stuck there. And actually, that's a good place for us to kind of end this episode because next week, I want to go more into what I would call the packaging of Dan McClellan. But for now, I want people to know how they can get in contact with you or engage with you. What, what's the best way for them to learn more about the burgeoning McClellan universe of goodness. <laughs> so I've got a handful of social media channels and I go by the same handle across all of them. So that's at McClellan and that's spelled M-A-K-L-E-L-A-N. And that is 
that's a phonetic spelling of my last name when I lived in South America because the Spanish speakers are not incredibly fond of, of last names that begin with four consonants in a row. So that was a lot easier for folks to pronounce. And I got home and turns out that's a very handy username. So on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, you can find me at McClellan. I have a website, mcclellan.org, which right now is, is primarily playing host to some online classes that I'm teaching. And I've also got a Patreon for a lot of folks have reached out and said, how can I support you and make sure that you're able to continue producing this content? So I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash McClellan. Let me tell you, if you are a person who remembers when History Channel actually did history and enjoyed it, or Discovery Channel did really interesting stuff back in the day, not so much now, but back in the day, you will love following Dan McClellan, whether you're religious or not. Because for a word guy like me, the etymology I learned from your conversations is fascinating. The kid who grew up Lutheran in me loves the kind of democratize religion, let the people have a direct pathway to God, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> I love that too. And also the kind of 95 Theses on the Door at Wittenberg kind of insurgency that you bring to the whole area of biblical scholarship totally works for me, if you know what I mean. And I think it works for a whole lot of other people as well. But anyway, that's Dan McClellan. He's going to be back next week. But I would like to remind you that the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by the book I wrote called Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate the Completely True, Completely You Brand You Already Are. If you need to know ex exactly what that book is about, look at what Dan's doing. He's building a brand based on completely who he is, what he does, and how he does it. And he's doing it so brilliantly, I just had to have him on this podcast. And not only that, I have to have him back on next week. So be sure to tune in and subscribe to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, wherever you get find podcasts for free. And you're talking about doing a podcast, or are you doing a podcast? We've got three episodes in the can so far. A friend of mine and I decided this would be a great time to pull the trigger on a podcast, and it's going to be called the Data Over Dogma podcast. And hmm. basically, wonder where that came from. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it wasn't his idea, and it will be basically longer form stuff like like what I do on, on my channel. It'll be about trying to make the academic study of the Bible and religion more accessible to the general public, and also combating misinformation. Just give people another outlet to be able to plug into these topics if they're interested in them so they can see where the scholarship is right now rather than where it was 150 years ago and where it can be freely accessible on the internet, which is mainly everything from 150 years ago. Well, that sounds fascinating. So look for the Data Over Dogma podcast. Do you have a publication date in mind? We're hoping about two weeks. Okay, so uh, we're recording yeah. we're recording this on March 14th. So let's just say April. Hopefully before April, but yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. Well, there you go. The Data Over Dogma podcast with Dan McClellan and who's your co-host? His name's Dan Beecher. Yep, Dan and Dan. We we didn't want to make it the Dan show though. He currently has a podcast called Thank God I'm Atheist where he does a lot of comedy related to atheism and religion so it'll be fun yeah at any rate that's it for this week on the non-fiction brand podcast i am of course your host dp knuton and he is dan mcclellan and we'll be talking at you again next week bye bye <laughs>